0: this morning. Give glory to God this morning. Raise up your voice. Raise up your hands. Raise up a shout to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for life today. Thank you, Lord, for health today. Thank you for PCF today. Thank you for LA today. Thank you for the LA Marathon today. Lord, give strength and grace to the runners and to the volunteers and to our city. And we pray blessing across the land in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning to you all. Magandangamagapo. Kumostopo kayo? You doing well today? Yes. Greetings to those who may be streaming live with us or via recording at some future point. We welcome you. The Lord has intended this day and this message for you as well. And so what a glory it is to be in the place of God's people because the place of God's people is the place of God. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We are going to talk about a dwelling place for God that God Himself has planned, that God Himself has laid out, designed, and provided for, that God Himself laid the foundation for, even making His Son the cornerstone. And you and I, we are living stones, living pillars in the temple of God, the house of the Lord. That's not just a metaphor. In a mysterious and majestic way, it is a very real living truth. We are the dwelling place of God. Revelation 22 says, Behold, look, the dwelling place of God is among people. They will be his people And he will be their God, and they will dwell together in the house of the Lord forever. David, in Psalm 23, talked about how even if he walked through the the valley of the shadow of coronavirus. Is that what it says in Psalm 23? Somebody look that up for me. It says the valley of the shadow of death. I think that's basically the same thing. Is it not? I don't think too many people are afraid of the sniffles. They're afraid of the Grim Reaper. I don't mean to make light of something that actually causes people death. I mean to say that's what David is talking about. Even when I'm walking through an uncertain place in which there's danger and risk all around me and the threat of death hangs over me, I won't be afraid because God is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Well, guess what? You are the staff of God. Holy ones... I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. And if you say, well, I'm not holy, then let God make you holy. That's the will of the Lord, that you would be made holy today because you are his staff, his divinely appointed personnel. You are God's masterpiece by which he intends to fulfill his plan, his purpose. Not just for you, although absolutely for you, but for all of you, for all of us for all the world, for all creation. The letter of Paul to the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus that he himself founded by the grace of God in the first century AD, in the first decades after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, is a letter that has come down to us over 2,000 years through the divine stewardship, the maintenance and management of the Holy Spirit, so that that word has been received by us in this word of God the living word of God, the Bible. It's an epistle. That's just a fancy way of saying it's a letter. A letter from Paul to people who followed Jesus in the city of Ephesus, the book of Ephesians. And it's the point of our study today. Well, I mentioned that there's an LA Marathon going on. Uh, I don't know if it's still going on. Someone's probably still running it. It's it's open, right? My brother ran it years ago Hats off to him. I wonder if he could do it today. He could do it today. I don't think he'd want to do it today. But maybe you feel like you're running a marathon. I feel like I've been running a bit of a marathon over the last week. There's a battery up here on the podium. I don't know if that's a sign to me. That's somebody just saying, we think you might need an extra charge while you're there. But what a blessing this battery is. You know, the book of Ephesians Reveals to us a battery from the Lord, a power pack from God, a resource connection that empowers us to do and to be what He made us to do and to be. This is, in fact, an Energizer battery. You remember the Energizer Bunny? Yeah. I don't know if anyone's ever compared the Energizer Bunny to the body of Christ, but the body of Christ is the Energizer Body. Yeah, have- the very same power that resurrected the body of Christ from the grave is the spirit living in you and I today that is ready to live in, to dwell within, to baptize and overflow anyone and everyone who will give themselves fully to God. But did you ever try and put a battery into something? Like, imagine that Energizer bunny. I know this is, that's like a 30 year old reference now, isn't it? I don't know if they still do that bunny commercial or not, but it was a little toy bunny that was drumming Forever, because it had the Energizer battery in it. It was never going to die. It was never going to stop. It was on a mission, and it just kept going, banging the drum of its mission. But if you did have to replace that battery in that bunny, and you opened up that little compartment, if there was still a battery in there, you couldn't put the replacement in, could you? Once a battery in there has died, it has to be removed in order for a live battery to be put in place. The fullness of God is free. God says, here's your battery. It's me. It's my life. For you who've been battered and betrayed in the world, I have a battery that's better for you. And it is going to bring you back to life. But first, you have to clear out the dead. Turn to the person next to you and say, clear out the dead. dead. If you're a Monty Python fan, there may be a reference for you there. (laughs) Bring out your dead. That maybe should be the call of the church among the church. Come on, bring out your dead. Awake, O oh sleeper, and arise. Get rid of the dead in order to receive the living. But if you leave that dead battery in there, have you ever done that? You found a little toy or a flashlight and a battery has been in there, I don't know, 24 years. And it's all corroded and rusted and oxidized and there's alkaline deposits all over it. You can barely touch it. So You can get a screwdriver or something. And it can actually ruin the encasement. It can ruin the compartment. So that even if you put something living in there, the thing itself is no longer useful because it's been ruined by the deadness that it carried within. Well, I feel like I could stop the sermon right there. That's it. That's the whole sermon. But like a good preacher, I'm going to belabor the point for another 40 minutes. But hopefully you've got it now so you can take it with you. The book of Ephesians, no kidding, is basically, in large part, the message that I just shared with you. In fact, for that matter, the gospel is basically the message I just shared with you. It's this. You're dead. You're dead. And you have no hope of coming to life. No right. Forget it. You say, I have a right to live. No, you don't, and neither do I. No right to live no hope of life, no way to do it. Even if you had the right and you could go to court and say, I've got the right, how will you do it? Because you have not the power nor the wisdom. But you and I, while we were dead, Jesus came to us alive. He said, I will remove your death, take it upon myself and I will give you my life and take you into myself that where I am, there you may be also. Lord, we come to your word today ready to live, recognizing that sometimes we feel like we're running a marathon and sometimes we feel like the marathon ran over us. But you, you are alive. Your ways are perfect. We desire that we would be emptied of all inner death and be filled with all the fullness of your life. And if anywhere we are holding on or holding back, help us to release right now that we might realize who we are in you individually and together as a body in you. People who are made to be your master. Enliven the preaching of your word today through my mouth, if you will, almighty God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Sometimes the sermon illustration comes right before the sermon. I actually prepared that line about 10 minutes ago, and that was before I saw the battery. So, I mean, (laughs) there was another illustration right there. But my, my wife, who is a beautiful, wonderful woman, has helped design a beautiful, wonderful ticket for the Women's Spring Luncheon coming up on Saturday, May 9th. Now, this is not just a promotional piece, but you know, why not give life to two birds with one stone? That's the Christian variation on that phrase. So, in the process of of helping her to craft this, uh, because I'm I'm the graphics guy in our house, so I put this together. By the time I had it put together last night, she was rightly in bed, and so I asked her to look it over this morning, and there were a couple of typos that needed to be fixed. So I came in and quickly fixed those this morning and went to print them and cut them. Now, this is actually four tickets. There's a point to this. Bear with me. Turn to the person next to you and say, he has a point. Yeah. Say, <laughs> so we may never know what it is, but he has it. Yeah. A couple people said it because they know that's true. So this is what the thing looks like when it's all done. You can, it can double as a bookmark. Well, that's a nice little functional treat, right? So it's got two sides to it. And uh, I don't know, it's about two and a half inches wide. Well, there's four of them on this sheet. That, that makes it go a little bit faster in the printing, a little less paper, a nice bookmark for you. But it means that it has to be cut in a very precise way. And I've learned from doing these that if I, if I give myself instructions on how to cut this so that it's pretty much the same, then I'll get you know relatively the same result. So it's kind of, involved with something like this, or at least the way I do it. Probably there's a simpler, better way to do it, and I'm going to find that out from eight of you who are all smarter than I am, and you're going to come up and say, you know, you could cut that in just two pieces, and I'll go, oh, wow, that's brilliant. But I, I'm slower and a little thicker when it comes to things like this. So I have five moves here that you have to make with this. You, you line it up at the ten and a half mark on the paper cutter, and you trim off one side, flip it at ten, and trim off another side. Flip it again, trim it at seven and a half, Seven and a half, John's not liking this. Too many steps. You're a smarter guy than I am. You'll show me how to do it better. And then I do it again at five and then at two and a half. Now here's the thing that's tricky about this. I've got even and odds, right? Or that's kind of the way I think of it. I've got 10 and a half, ten, seven and a half, seven. You're already confused and so was I. And when you get going quick because you think I gotta get this thing done, guess what happens? You might actually cut it in the wrong place. Which I did because at one point I cut it seven instead of seven and a half and I realized it when I saw that the image had been ruined and the ticket had been voided. So in fact, those little measurements matter and those moves and flipping and twisting that feels like a lot of work and what's the point? The point is that there's a particular image to be made and a function and purpose to be fulfilled, and even a little misstep can ruin the whole thing. And once the thing is ruined, what use can it be? This is trash. It has a value. These are $15, cheap. That's a deal, it's a steal. But this isn't even worth that. In fact, the ticket, at $15 is going to provide for you. I know this sounds like sloganeering, but it's actually true. Before God, I will say. Your $15 admittance will provide you eternal rewards because I am confident that the Lord will be with us in that gathering and things will be spoken and time will be shared that will never be forgotten. You ever think about that? In eternity, we'll look back on the days that we spent together in the lord the times that we invested in god and we will say look at the beauty of god in that it's god's masterpiece 15 dollars for an experience like that that is a bargain but this is trash what's the point i'm excited about this one day la event we're going to be talking a lot about it as we ramp up toward it it's a big part of our harvest It really is a vision of the body of Christ about getting out into the world and doing the works of God. Ephesians 2.10 that says that we are the masterpiece of God says also that we are prepared to do the works that he has prepared for us to do. That sounds like a tautology. It sounds like I'm just speaking circularly, but actually, if it is a circle, it's an infinite ring. It's a covenant promise of God, and it's saying this. Let me slip onto your finger," says the Lord. This promise, which is the power to do the works that I have intended that you would do. So One Day LA is just a part of that, but it's a part of our harvest. And I like that it says in the, in the um, branding of the day, in the, in the theme of the mission, love has no limits. Ephesians is a book that talks about the fullness of Christ in great measure. In fact, in two weeks... I'm going to bring a message out of Ephesians chapter 4. We're in chapter 2 today. In two weeks, I'm going to bring a message on the full measure of Christ. But the fullness of Christ is something that Paul talked about in the first chapter that we looked at last week. And you will see fullness in the verbiage of chapter 2 that we're going to look at in just a moment. Fullness is all through the book. And the idea is fulfilling the full measure, but it's also the right measure. So love has no limits because there is no limit on the fullness of Christ that he wants to give to you. But it does have lanes. Do you know what I mean? Love has no limits, but it has running lanes. There are boundaries. Love has a channel. Love has a blueprint. And if you don't acknowledge the blueprint, you run the risk of ruining the image. You and I are made in the image of God. That's what the word of God says. Every human being carries what is in Latin referred to as the imago Dei, the image of God. You and I were made to fulfill that image. And there's no limit on how much of God he can pour into you and me and through us into the world. But there are lanes, there are measures that if we ignore or resist, or defy in our lives. We do not shorten God, but we cut ourselves off from the purpose for which we were designed. That's an important part of the message. As Pastor Henry said, things like Unlitter LA, just going around the street and cleaning up, it may not feel like a glamorous mission, but you know what, it is the mission of the body of Christ. To be a blessing wherever we are, to serve people however we can. And mission is not about where you go so much as why you're going. You're going because you've been called to go. That's what. That's where you get the where from. When you say, I'm on mission, the commander is the one who says, here's what your mission is, and here's what you are to do. And the number one part of our mission is to recognize who we are in Christ and who we are without him. Because, friend, If you're not walking with the Lord today, there's no way for you to know the measure of his glory in your life. There's no way for you to discern the will of God, let alone to do it, because you're like the Energizer Bunny with a dead battery. You're not able to function. You may think, oh, I'm functioning really well, but what God sees is you don't look the way I intend. You don't have the value that I want to ascribe to you. But here's another blessed point. Well, actually, I'm going to save this. I'm going to save this for the end. I want to tell you about this trash. But we'll come back to that. Let's take a look in the book of Ephesians. First of all, I want to make here at this second point in our six-part series just an overview of the book. There are six chapters to Ephesians. I asked you to read them last week. I hope that you did. And I'm now going to go around the room and ask each person individually. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Somebody got a little bit nervous. for Hey, you did it or you didn't. You can still do it this week. I personally, even on the, in the drive down here today, even though I have read through the entire book multiple times over the last several weeks, I mean, I've probably read the book of Ephesians, I don't know, 50 times, something like that. Uh, Listened to it, read it, studied it as we're going through this. Just this morning, I listened to Ephesians chapter two that we're we're studying today together. Um, After having prepared the sermon and everything, I listened to it in four different uh, translations, just driving down here. So you can read the book of Ephesians again this week and I'd like you to do that. Read it again, read it again, read it again. Read it closely, and like Pastor Joe Volpe said a couple of weeks ago, let it read you. Measure yourself by the measure of Ephesians. Here's the measure of Ephesians. Chapter 1 talks about the blessing. Will you say that? The blessing. Every blessing in Christ has been provided for you. What is every blessing in Christ? Let me ask it this way. Is there any blessing that is really a blessing that isn't in Christ? The answer is no. There is no blessing whatsoever outside of Christ. So every blessing that really is a blessing is in Christ. And all of that is yours for free. Yours as a free gift of God. Chapter 2 is the building. The blessing is, you're going to be mine, says God. And the building is, I'm going to make you. Not just my own, but my best. Not just my own, but my best. My masterpiece. The fulfillment of my purpose. The pinnacle of my creation. And chapter 3 is God saying, Here, I'll show you the plans. I'll reveal the blueprint for you. I am building you as my house. My house on a hill. My favored place to dwell. The treasury and stockpile of my resource the armory and fortress of my army, the place of my throne, the place of my glory, my inner place of intimacy, of love, of life, the womb of my creation. That's you, says the Lord, my masterpiece, my bride, my body. Who loves anything more than their own body? You say, I'm not that fond of my body. Maybe not, but you take good care of it. Or maybe you don't, but then you'll wish that you had. Anyway, no body is closer to your body than your body, right? And you are the body of Christ if you are believers in him. He wants to reveal to you what was God's plan from the beginning for you and for all. And then lead you in walking in a way that is worthy of that calling that you might fulfill that blueprint, that you might be measured out to reveal the worth of God. And there are some basics about how we do that because it's not just me and God, it's me, God, and the other one, the people on my right and my left. It's us. Listen, one of the biggest mistakes that people make in the faith of Christianity today in the modern world is this idea that it can just be you and God. God's not okay with that. That's not the blueprint. That's not the blessing. It is impossible to fulfill the will of God and experience the full blessing of God between just you and God. I don't mean to say that you and God don't have an intimate connection, and I certainly don't want to discourage you from feeding Time into that intimate connection and feasting on your time with the Lord. If I don't have that one on one with Him on a regular basis, I go south real quick. I fail to run the marathon of the mission and the mission starts running over me. But when I get with God, oh, it's glorious. But what I recognize is what God wants to do in me in those private times is also to shape me to connect better with you and you and you in all the other times, so that every member of the body would start having this mind in us that was in Christ Jesus, which is, I exist to serve you, to serve God's will for you, not your will for you, not your will for me, but God's will for us, and there are basics on how we do that, and the basic is walk in love. If you want to walk in the way of Jesus, walk in the way of love. And love has no limits, but it has lanes. So there is no restriction on the liberality of love in its generous giving, but there is a measurement in the way of walking out that love in a way that is living. I like that, but I don't think I can repeat it, but it sounded good. (laughs) And all of this is important, not just because we are a lovey-dovey group in a love feast with each other and the Lord. We are, and we are, and we are looking forward to the day when that becomes all in all. But right now we are on a battlefield. Turn to the other person and let them know you're in a battle. And you and I cannot face that battle alone. And if you say, well, it's me and God, God is saying, I've put you in a body. That body needs you and you need that body. And that body needs to be armored in the full armor of God. The fullness of Christ is also a full covering of protection, a full empowerment, not just for defense, but for offense, not just for withstanding the battle, but also for leading the charge forward against the very gates of hell, victoriously that's the blessing, that's the building, the blueprint, the body, the basics for battle that bring about a victory in the Lord. So we've looked at chapters one, and today we're looking at two, and I wanna look closer at it as we come to our final time together today. Last week we talked about how every blessing in Christ is really a series of promises fulfilled, the promise to the faithful, that we would be God's people, that he would make us holy. None of us are holy on our own. None of us are whole, and none of us are righteous on our own, but God makes us whole and makes us righteous. The promise of the Father is not only that he fixes us and cleans us out, but that he equips us and sends us out. The promise of the Father is that when we were included in Christ, we were filled By his spirit. I wrote a blog post this past week. You can find it on the website if you haven't read it already. And if you go to mypcf.org and you click on ministries, you'll see pastor's blog there. I wrote an article that I encourage you to read. It won't take you too long. It's called The Divine Download. And it's really about that notion of the promise of the Father, which is the phrase that Jesus uses in the book of Luke and Acts to describe the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is called the Christ because it means he was marked by and filled with the anointing of the Spirit. And what Jesus said is, God has promised that anointing, that same anointing to you, that the works I do, you would do. Yesterday, we, a team and I went to the LA Downtown Medical Center and prayed through the ICU unit, prayed through the seventh floor, and experienced the fullness of God's Spirit at work through us. Is that not true, Tammy? Talaga. I'm telling you, there was a real experience of God's power, of God's authority, of God's mercy, of God's grace, of God's love. And people were, in fact, very deeply touched by it. And there's more of that that we, as a people, want to be doing all the time. But we can only do it in the fullness of the Spirit. You need the divine download. If you haven't downloaded the Holy Spirit, you need to sign up, hook up, and receive the divine download from God. The Holy Spirit that fills you. Because the promise of that fullness is that you will not only have the power to carry out the mission, but you will have the hope within you that drives you forward to run the race. All right. Ephesians 2. Understanding these blessings and promises, God now wants to reveal to you what is the full purpose of that. It's not just to have a warm, fuzzy feeling. There's a functional reality. We have been brought to life in Jesus Christ. We have been brought together. That's no small thing. A world divided is the world that we live in today. And really, it has always been that way. From the time of Cain and Abel, brother against brother, nation against nation, ethnos against ethnos, one group against another, party against party, religion against religion, denomination against denomination. But Jesus said, I will abolish all of that animosity in me. I will be your peace and I will bring all you pieces together as one in me. And I will build you to last. Though everything else will be shaken, the house of God will remain. Even the houses that were built for God by the religious people and named for God. Those can tumble to the ground, not one stone left on the other. You hear what I'm saying? But the house that God builds, it will last. Unless God builds the house, the people that build it, build it in vain. The scripture says... But when God lays the foundation and when God places the cornerstone that the builders rejected, that he made the cornerstone foundation and places the capstone who is Christ, well then, that edifice, that temple, that tabernacle of God will stand and that's you and me brought to life, brought together, built to last. Let's read. Once you were dead because of your disobedience, And your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. Now, wait a minute. Somebody out there, somebody out there, somebody out there is thinking, I never obeyed the devil. I mean, I may not have been, you know, the best person on the block, but I certainly never obeyed the devil. But the Word of God is not wrong. The reality is, everyone has a blueprint. Over their life. Everyone has an operating system that's running in the background of your body, of your mind, of your spirit. And if it's not God's, it's not just yours, it is the devil's. Because the devil is a virus who doesn't care whether he has any legal right to operate, he's a hacker who hacks into your system and takes control, and you don't even know it. He's a worm as much as a serpent and a snake, who worms his way into your mind, into your spirit, so that even though you think, I'm just doing what I like to do and what seems right to me, in fact, you are obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. How will you see the unseen world? Eyes of the flesh cannot see it. The mind of a human being cannot conceive of it. No amount of study, of rigor, of observation can unveil to you that which only the spirit can reveal. It is like if you think that you could look really hard and really long into the sky that somehow... You could see, you know, a mountain on Pluto or something. Well, you say, well, with the right telescope. Well, think of the spirit as the telescope. Without the spirit there to give you that vision, you have no hope of getting it with your own eyes. And because of that, you will be blind and led astray by the things of the enemy. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Listen, get that. The devil is the spirit at work in people who refuse to obey God, whether they know it or not, whether they want that to be true or not. And such were some of you and I. In fact, we all have been that way. We have all done the devil's bidding. We have all followed the rebellious program. But God set us free. All of us used to live that way, verse 3, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. Now let me stop and say this, if we're still living that way, we are still under the control of the enemy. You can plaster the name of Jesus over your life all you want, but if what you're doing is living according to your own inclinations and desires, if you're living according to the flesh and your carnal ways, if you're living according to your fears, your anxieties, your doubts, your selfishness, your selfish ambition then you and I are living according to the devil no matter what we say we are, no matter what we say we believe. What God says is, I look at your heart and I look at the fruit of your life and I'll see in that to whom you really belong. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Grace means, actually in the Greek, it's it's the uh, word charis that we get charismatic from. And it refers to a gift, a blessing, a gracious offering that has no rationale, no reason behind it except the disposition of the giver. In fact, do you know the term gratuitous? I remember as a kid there used to be debates about too much violence or sex in in TV and movies and I would hear about gratuitous violence and sex and I used to think, what does that mean? What it means is pointless. It doesn't have any purpose. Of course, it does have a purpose. It's tied to that stuff about the carnal desires of the flesh that the enemy is in. But the point of talking about things that are gratuitous in that nature is saying it doesn't have a good purpose. It's not a purpose that serves the story or that edifies the viewer. Well, in fact, when Jesus quotes a scripture in the New Testament and says, they hated me without a purpose, he says, they hated me gratuitously. He's talking about how people in the world hated God for no reason. And God loved the world for no reason except his own. A lot of people think, well, God is our father and fathers love their children. First of all, there are many people in this room right now who could stand up and say, I am living witness to the fact that fathers don't always love their children. And I will say as a father who does love his children, loving fathers don't always succeed in loving their children well. God does not refer to everybody as his children. He refers to everybody as his creation. The purpose of his creation is to become his child. But if you and I live in violation, we violate the reality of our childhood in God, and we become refuse, no longer any use in fulfilling the image of the Father. Not by his will, but by our own. God doesn't desire that any should be cut off, but that all should meet the full measure of Christ. But because some of us choose to rebel, even though the measure has been offered to us, We refuse it for no good reason, but he continues to offer it for no other reason than himself and his love. That's the love of God. He raised Christ from the dead and raised us with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Seated us with him, past tense. 2,000 years ago, Paul said, you're already seated with Christ. You weren't even born yet, but you were known in the mind of God. And God said, I choose them. Now, is that saying that God doesn't choose somebody else? God desires, as I said, that all should receive. But God is a God who also realizes and recognizes that part of the image of God is freedom. So he allows people a free will and the choice. But his choice is you. The question really is, is your choice him? He's already chosen you. Will you choose him? Amen, yes. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united in Christ. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. We are God's masterpiece. It's Him who's going to boast about us. He's going to say, You are the beauty of me in the world. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us to do long ago. I want to say two things about the Greek here one is, We are God's masterpiece. Poema. Poema is a Greek word that is actually the root where we get our word poetry. It refers to anything that is made, but it became used specifically to refer to something that was made carefully and creatively for a beautiful purpose. It came to be used for the writing of fiction and the writing of poetry in the Greco-Roman world. That was a high degree of artistry involved, and a personal expression being made about the most important things. And that was a masterpiece that someone would offer to the world. God says, that's what you are to me. I want to make you into my masterpiece. Pastor Art spoke on a Wednesday night a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to ask him to preach this to us in some uh, very near Sunday because it's a message that it's worthy of hearing about how his story of his life is God's story and how each one of us is really called to recognize that reality, that God is writing his story out in us, that we're not only living stones in the temple of God, we are living epistles. Just like this letter of Paul to the Ephesians, you are writing a letter to the world and the letter reveals what blueprint is operating in you and who is ruling over your life. It's God's story being written in you we've been brought to life by God because God wants to reveal the beauty of his life for all eternity don't forget that you gentiles many of the people in Ephesus were non-Jews used to be outsiders you were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts sometimes people think why do we have all this conversation about circumcision in the in the test in the New Testament the Old Testament in the Bible here it's talking about how people used religious rituals even if they had their root and their source in God as circumcision did to become a dividing point if you'll forgive the pun but it seems applicable to cut people off from each other in fact what God was saying was this will be a sign of you being set apart from me but now in this era Christ Jesus is saying I want all people brought together In those days, says Paul, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship of the people of Israel. And you didn't even know the covenant promise that God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God. Isn't that true of many of us? But now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He's united us into one people. In his own body on the cross. He did this by concluding the system of the law. Fulfilling it. If you have a blueprint for your home, you probably don't even know where it is. It was essential to the building of your home. But you don't use it when you're living in it anymore, right? But does that mean that your home no longer matches the blueprint? Does the electrical wiring not need to follow that configuration? Does the plumbing not need to follow those lanes and lines? No, all those connections are necessary and needed. And the foundation and the the load-bearing structures, they all need to be fitted and in place. But you don't keep looking at the blueprint anymore once the house has been built. So Christ came and said, the blueprint has been fulfilled. It is finished. Now enter into the house. Live and dwell as the people of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So he made peace between people by making all people into one people within him. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God. Our hostility toward each other was put to death, and he brought this good news of peace to people who were far away and to people who were near and close. Now all of us can come to him in the same spirit because of what Jesus has done. We've been brought together in God and we are called to bring other people together in him too and to unite people in him. So now we are no longer strangers and foreigners. We are citizens with all of God's holy people, members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him becoming a holy temple from the lord through him you all are being made part of this dwelling where god lives by his spirit we've been built to last for god if you think of yourself this way i'm where god is going to dwell and my relationships with other people in the body that's the very structure of where god is going to live i promise you god's not going to live in some rickety house with holes in the roof and holes in the walls, and uh, no proper foundation, where seepage comes in, and pipes break, and power goes out. That's not the mansion of the Lord, is it? You are God's masterpiece. He will surely complete you and I in total perfection until the day of the Lord. We've been brought to life. Though we were dead, God gave us life in Christ. We've been brought together for Christ himself made us one people in his body and we've been built to last. We are being built together as God's dwelling place. As we move forward in weeks ahead in the book of Ephesians, this, this, this blueprint of God's blessing needs to remain in our mind that we've been brought to life and brought together in order to be his people and to do his works. In Ephesians 2.10, when it says that we were prepared to do the works of God, I preached a message on this a couple of years ago. The word there in Greek is ergon. It's where we get the word ergonomic. Something that's urban ergonomic is perfectly fitted and suited for its purpose. It doesn't cause stress or strain. If you have an ergonomic chair in your office, it allows you to sit at your desk for long periods of time and do the work that you need to do without any burden on you. Same with an ergonomic keyboard or ergonomic tools. The works of God are a blessing, not a burden. His yoke is easy and it's light and he has made us equipped to do it well because it's his grace at work in us. I said I would come back to this. You may be thinking, but wait a minute, Pastor Courtney, this is me. It's too late now. And I said to the Lord, you know, in my speed and in my haste, I ruined this one. And the Lord said, don't throw it away. I have a purpose for that. It's going to become the centerpiece of your message. Sometimes the illustration of the sermon comes at the last minute. Sometimes it comes after the cut. Because God says, I will take that which refused me and that which was refuse.'" and I will make it my story. Your weakness will be my perfection. Your brokenness will be my face. I will shine my light through your cracks, and I will show my love through your failures so that even when you and I have failed, God comes to us and says, it was never based on your success anyway. It was based on mine. It was based on me. There's a saying, measure twice and cut once. There was one cut for all, and his name is Jesus Christ. He was cut off from God, even though he was God's masterpiece. He was God's beloved son. He, who was a son, was cut off from the Father so that we, who were not children, could become children of God. And receive the blessing of the beauty of God in our lives. So now believe that. Receive that. And let go of the dead. Bring out the dead. Give up the ghost. Offer up the trash. And let God turn it into the very beauty of his masterpiece. Lord, we come to you today recognizing that we are people who have been broken, trampled. And we've broken and trampled on others. We're people who've been cut off from you and we've cut ourselves off from you. We're people that have rejected you and resisted you. And we are people who today recognize once again or maybe for the first time that you love us anyway. That you reach out to us anyway and that you have the power to make us whole. Lord, we recognize the things you call us to do are hard. It's not just saying we believe. It means really giving ourselves over to you, really living in your ways, really getting connected to the church, to the word, to the life of the disciple. But we want that, Lord. We don't know how to do it without you. Thank God we don't have to do it without you. We do thank you, God, for that. But we ask that you would do it in us. Just lift up your hands to him and say, do it in me, Lord. Take my life, Lord. Take my failure, Lord. Take my sin, Lord. Remove it, Lord. And fill me with your life, with your word, with your spirit, with your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah.